The Geo Boys are back in town. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third episode of the Geo Boys podcast. I'm your host, Tanner. Joining me today are Michael. Hello there. And Matthew. Howdy. And, um, yeah. First off, I'd like to say, uh, the second episode of the Geo Boys podcast aired last night, so that would have been Friday the 23rd. Ooh. Um, yeah. And, um, we are about two weeks out from the end of the semester for us. Um, how are y'all feeling about that? Kind of sad, because it went by really quickly. But really happy. It, it really went by way too quickly. Like, just like in class, one of our professors was just like, yeah, I got like two weeks left. And we're just like, I had like a uh, mental breakdown. I was like, all right, then. <laughs> I've spent half of my college career online. Wow. Oof, yeah, it's it's definitely weird to put it in that framework, but uh, you know, I think all of us have uh, gotten registered for at least most of our classes for the fall semester, and um, you know, we're moving right along there. Yeah. But um, today uh, we're going to be talking about a fun little topic, um, mainly about science and scientists within media. Now, we kind of alluded to how, you know, movies and and media at large has impacted us in the first episode. We were talking about some of our inspirations or uh, driving factors into why we major in geology. And um, there's also a whole other side to that. of course, there's how science impacts media um, in the sense that, like, you know, Godzilla in the 1950s was originally um, released as a sci-fi movie to condemn the usage of nuclear warfare. And so that had major, like, uh, social and political impacts but also media has done a fair bit in terms of actually influencing science itself one of my personal favorite examples of this is how um, Star Trek in the 1970s inspired the uh, one of the first designs for the uh, flip phone yeah so it's it's really interesting to see this dynamic of how media has affected science and especially sci-fi movies one thing I wanted to talk about was what are some of the better and worse representations of geology within media because um, you know some of these movies are just fun light-hearted stuff and they don't try to necessarily be accurate <laughs> okay so now a lot of these movies like at the time that it you know back then you don't realize a lot of things are just like blown out of proportion or taken out of context for the purpose of like plot development uh now like once you like actually learn the truth about some things and like how things actually work and you go back and watch and you're like wait a minute that's not right (laughs) it's small things for a lot some of them are really big, like uh, obviously Journey to the Center of the Earth. Um, I'm not sure what what year that's from. Uh, 
I want to say definitely late 2000s. Yeah. Counting the original book, obviously, that is much, much older. Right. Yeah. Very, very, very old. <sighs> obviously, like, watching that as like, a young kid, you're like, wow, this is really entertaining. You know, there's like this huge biosphere, like, somewhere deep in the earth, and you fall down a volcano shaft that takes you directly to the middle of the earth. And there's an ocean, there's uh, dinosaurs, all kinds of things. And you're just like, wow, you know, this is a possibility. No, it's it's really not. <laughs> That's that's a big one, obviously. It's just like there's no way something like that can exist. Like you go a certain depth into our you couldn't even get past uh the crust in our planet without being crushed to death by the pressure. Then there's no way and like I guess like my question when I was, I was like, How did they get there? <laughs> How did water get down there? And like why is it like only eighty degrees while like the center of the earth is far, far hotter than that? uh it's big things and it makes it makes it like now like when i look back i'm like okay this is still entertaining but it's kind of stupid yeah i remember one of the major plot points for that movie was how it started at like 80 degrees like what you said and then the temperature slowly started to rise to be like 120 by the time they finally had to get out and i have no i i don't even remember why all i know is that it ended with a big volcanic eruption that they somehow Survive. I think it was supposed to be cyclical or something. Like it, it did that every once in a while, but somehow the biosphere down there still lived. Survived. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a movie thing again. <laughs> this was, generation it, of geologists is certainly one that's going to be affected a lot by what they watched as kids. Like a lot of those movies. You know, regardless of their accuracies and inaccuracies, and I'm sure we'll talk about applications of those movies on the general public in terms of uh, scientific follies, but in terms of geologists, a lot of people were inspired to become geologists because they watched these movies as a kid and go, whoa, this is cool. Oh, absolutely. I I know personally, me and, me and you, Michael, were heavily inspired by Jurassic Park to pursue paleontology and there are tons of people in our generation who have been inspired by media like that but at the same time we do have to realize that they are just works of fiction some of them are certainly much better at representing quote-unquote good science than others right. including the representation of scientists themselves in media is very dodgy like in terms of Treating scientists like actual people and not just a walking info dump, basically. Yeah, I didn't know how far we'd get into it before I, I started talking about this, but I don't... Like, I look back on all these movies and I'm like, there aren't a lot of female geologists within media. Like, you've got Ellie from Jurassic Park and you have the main character from Anaconda which is not a good movie by any standard but I could I could be forgetting a couple others obviously but actually one that did pretty well was uh, uh, Rana Lebeck from Tremors which for Tremors. what kind of movie that is was surprisingly well with both how, how they handled geology 
or yeah, the geology specifically, not as much the biology stuff, but both biology and how they treat scientists as characters. Their main character is Rada Lebec, a female grad student who is a seismologist. Um, and I have not gotten the chance to watch that movie. I really should. But that one was a pretty early one to bring in a female scientist. And second of all, not like a full-on, I, I am a doctor person, but a grad student, which is actually very cool. You don't get that very often in uh, media. Huh. Yeah, I, I haven't seen Tremors either. Um, have you Have you read the Jurassic Park book, Michael? have <laughs> <laughs> um because if i'm not mistaken ellie in that was was supposed to be a, a graduate student correct i think so the movie makes it less clear personally i do enjoy her character way better in the movie i think she stands alone a lot better yeah and i enjoy alan's character a lot better in the movie too yeah, though, if we ever do get into some of the tropes that scientists fall into, Alan actually falls into more uh, scientific tropes, like scientific person tropes than Ellie does. Um, he kind of falls into the lone wolf scientist who has a theory that everyone else thinks is wrong, but he gets to be one person who actually knows the truth. When that's that's not how science works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about that trope. So, you've like like you said, you've got your lone wolf scientist, typically like a middle aged male, who wears a cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and um, I mean, like exactly like you put it, he just knows better than anyone else, and. In reality, science is a very collaborative field most of the time, you know? I don't think there's anyone in their professional career who could have gotten there alone. Uh, definitely not. Um, and in this case, for those of you who somehow have not seen this movie, uh, this is in reference to um, his thoughts on birds being related to dinosaurs, and it was kind of a late bloomer thing by this time the public didn't have a great perception of that at this time this was 1993 but the science was pretty settled by then for the most part some of the specifics were still kind of in the air uh, work by people like john ostrom robert Bacher, etc had already been working on this stuff for years by the time this movie came out it was actually first proposed by thomas huxley way back in the time of, like, Darwin, that birds were the direct descendants of dinosaurs. So this wasn't a new thing. So showing Alan as being the person who came up with the idea of birds being dinosaurs is kind of weird scientifically and also kind of falls into some of the scientist tropes, aside from stuff like mad scientists, the lone wolf scientist. You kind of get repetition a lot of those things. And obviously that kind of tells the public, hey, a scientist is a certain kind of person, and you're going to see it over and over again in movies. Either they're evil, as happens a lot in, like, Jurassic World, and many, 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 many other movies, all the way back to, like, 
Frankenstein, or they are the lone wolf person who knows everything better than everyone else. Right. So, in in some respect, the representation in in not diving too deep into Jurassic Park, the representation of scientists in in that movie is kind of flawed, and how science is presented in that is also kind of flawed. But at least for the time period, the science was pretty accurate. Well, yeah, definitely. And the scientists actually were way better than most scientists of that time period, not including like Tremors. Because one of the main things you get to see in that movie is Ellie and Alan actually just looking out and being amazed at what they're seeing. They aren't like stoic or shows emotion type the whole time. No, they see dinosaurs and go, oh my gosh, we were right. This is amazing. Cool science stuff. You, you don't see that a lot. You don't just get to see scientists being people. Yeah, th- those characters were well-grounded actual people and n- had a personality apart from just being a scientist. Now... <laughs> <laughs> There, there are a couple um, less eloquent examples of that. Um, have y'all seen San Andreas? Uh, <laughs> unfortunately. So, very clearly, there's a lot of problems in the geology in that movie. The, the scale in which things actually happen in that movie is just blown completely out of proportion, and most of the practice of seismology is just very weird like i don't know why they chose to do this but i remember i'm remembering a specific scene where the lead scientist can't can't remember the character's name for the life of me but um you know he basically takes one of his grad students to the hoover dam to do a seismic recording there or whatever because he had a theory and of course he also fell into the trope of I have this theory I've presented it to politicians and they don't believe me so I need to go like dive deeper into this and they go to the Hoover Dam and then the entire Hoover Dam just like splits at the fracture of this fault zone which yeah that's kind of bizarre given that the Hoover Dam is not in the San Andreas fault zone it's nowhere near it. It's, it's like nowhere near it. Far away from that. Also, I'd like to point out, like in the movie, that there is a tsunami, which should not happen because the San Andreas Fault Zone is a series of strike-slip faults. And only you get tsunamis at subduction zones or convergent boundaries, and there's yeah. no way that should have ever happened. Yeah, and maybe maybe this is just my perception, but it also seems like tsunamis in these like sci-fi action type movies are always way too big 2012 think that yes. movie. i will that... say okay the one movie gets it right um i believe it's called the impossible it's called the impossible it's a 2012 film with tom holland and ewan mcgregor um and a couple other famous people 
and it is about uh, the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. Oh, yeah, I've actually seen this. It, it actually shows things pretty seriously, like, pretty accurately. Like, accurate representation of a tsunami I've ever seen, and it is terrifying. Really? I, I've never heard of that movie. I actually do recommend that movie. That that movie is terrifying. It's basically a family of tourists Scary. from I think I think they go to Thailand uh, at like the wrong on, time. <laughs> yeah, and the tsunami that actually happened in two thousand four that caused untold damage happens while they are next to the beach, and hmm. it's not a very pretty. Oh, like big ocean wave. It's just a surge of water filled with all sorts of junk Sediment. and debris that is throwing them all over the place. It's it's terrifying. It's very real, very grounded. Huh. Okay, I'll have to check that out. There's a lot of clips on YouTube. You can like look up like when the actual tsunami hits, and it's pretty accurate. It looks very similar to like actual. Uh, clips that people took on that day. Obviously, like there is some things here and there, but that's Hollywood. But it's it right. follows it pretty accurately. Yeah, and this is not. There are no scientists in this movie, to my knowledge. It's just people on the ground reacting to the earthquake, or sorry, to the tsunami as it happens, basically. But it is in terms of the science it presents in the form of the tsunami itself and the aftermath, actually. Very, very grounded. Sometimes, sometimes Hollywood does get things right. Um, and even in, in the sci-fi movies like Tremor, you, you get some nuggets of uh, interesting scientific tidbits. Because even though the origins of the Graboids, the big monsters in that movie, the sandworms, aren't Pretty evolutionary, ter evolutionarily terrible. They make no sense. Um, actually, the way that's uh, in, I believe, at least one sequence of the movie, the main group of characters, including that uh, that graduate student that is a, a seismologist that I mentioned earlier, avoid the graboids, is that the graboids cannot travel uh, as well through just straight up solid rock. So what they do is they look on a geologic map and see where the Pleistocene alluvium is, which basically just means like sediment that was deposited in the uh, Pleistocene, the most second most recent geologic time uh, section, you know, a couple a couple thousand years ago, um, and. They stay away from the Pleistocene alluvium because that stuff isn't consolidated yet. It isn't like very hard rock yet. They stick to the older stuff. Like I, I think it was. Um, I think they stayed on the Precambrian like country rock, and that's actually pretty true. Yeah, the Precambrian older uh, granites and stuff like that would be way more difficult for a hypothetical graboid to dig through and the unconsolidated uh, scene alluviums. So that was kind of a fun little, hey, we're including an actual little bit of geology in here. Interesting. I So I've, I've never seen Tremors, but 
what was the mechanism for them introducing these or did you call them graboids graboids yeah that's the big sandworms um again i have not seen this movie i only know a little bit offhand i believe it's something where like people nearby have been going missing and then they end up finding the uh the graboids that kind of chase them around the valley and that little bit of geology is actually dropped by uh by the main scientist character in that movie um I'm sure the other characters didn't care super, super uh, much, but it was interesting to hear that they must have done some amount of research while doing this movie. I had someone come on and talk about it. Huh. That that sounds genuinely better than a lot of the movies I had in mind, because I, <laughs> I, I often have, uh, like, I don't know if y'all feel the same way about this movie trope, especially coming from the biology side of it, like, there's often a trope in movies where there's a cave somewhere, some archaeologist or geologist, like, enters the cave, and there was something terrible living within the cave for, like, thousands of years, and no one knew about it. Yeah, and that happens a lot. <laughs> and it's yeah. just been surviving off of nothing. Like, there's, there's no biologic phenomena or explanation to give credit to that um i mean a couple of the big movies i have at fault for this are the meg (laughs) (laughs) Meg. oh my gosh i can't believe that that movie with reference to what it does to the public because i have some words about that (laughs) okay okay yes uh well that movie i've particular fault with also um what is it uh the silence i don't know if y'all seen that on netflix or not it's more of a horror movie oh is that the one with the weirdo bat pterosaurs it's exactly the bat we, oh, we watched we watched that god i watched that and it was i had some problems how how okay didn't try to explain it they were just there. They so, they were there. They were I mean, they chose violence. Started, yeah, they really did choose violence every time with every person. And there were just like millions of them, like there were there were straight up a hundred thousand of them in whatever city the movie started with alone. And they started in like you know somewhere halfway across the world. Like there were straight up millions of these monstrous bats that went into a dormant state for the last thousand years or something they were huge and there were hundreds of thousands of them and they were in a completely sealed off cave and the moment that they come out this side or something they were building something and then they immediately chose to kill people yeah I, I don't remember a lot of the specifics of that movie but to be entirely fair i like that as a horror movie not as anything else but i like it as a horror movie (laughs) the meg um if i remember correctly there is a lair specifically like in the mariana trench where there is a layer of hydrogen sulfide in the water that nothing can pass through until like they open up like a hole in it I think 
Oh my god. <laughs> and then and then multiple megalodons, giant sharks. Not just one. Of... Like yeah, like three. two. Like two or three. Each one, each one successively larger than the previous ones. And you're like, how could something like that live in such a small space? I, I remember that and thinking, wow, so their their whole explanation for this was that there was a hydrosulfic barrier yep. somewhere deep in the deep in the ocean and these megalodons had no problem barometrically coming up to straight up the surface like they they breach at some points during the movie yeah like if you actually look at like animals that are that come from that region of the ocean if you see them and they're brought up to the surface they literally just fall apart because they are not used to like to that pressure uh humans too like they experience like the bends where uh the nitrogen builds up in their bloodstreams when they go from high pressure to low pressure but there is no way uh, something that size too could come up to the surface and be perfectly fine that movie honestly the the exact science of that movie bothers me less than the way and i this kind of happens with a lot of different especially creature features um which are if you don't know movies that like as the name says feature a creature monster basically that chases people around for most of the movie that genre Despite the fact that I loved it as a kid, I now realize that there are serious problems with how we, uh, as scientists, connect to the public while those movies exist. Because, for instance, I'm, I'm going to bring up Jaws. Jaws is a great movie. It is a classic. It's a really good movie. Good People movie. are never going to look at sharks the same way again. Yeah. That movie officially basically demonized sharks forever. And there's nothing that we can like undo. You can't undo Jaws. <laughs> and the Meg it was is, is kind of Jaws again. Such a widely popular movie that like the themes associated with it just became not themes or theatrics, but it became like an actual scientific thought that most people started holding. And it yeah. it's it's not true. Uh, in some cases, like they are, they can be aggressive creatures, but in reality, they're they're really not like shark attacks are rare right more people are killed by vending machines each year than by sharks it's just hilarious to me even more than that we do so much more damage to sharks than they have ever done to us in in our entire evolutionary history let alone just per one year we have tanked shark populations over the past 20, 30, 40 years. A lot of people, including people in high places, including stuff like uh, like politicians, now are looking at sharks and going, why do I care about them? Why should I protect them? Why should I put laws in place that make sure they stay okay? And it's because we demonize sharks. The same thing happens with basically every other creature feature movie instance, if we go back to Jurassic Park for a second, Jurassic Park, amazing classic movie with great likable characters and for the time, pretty pretty good science. Not perfect, but pretty good. 
problem with the movie now is that the legacy that it has made is not look at these amazing animals that used to walk around on our planet um, and also the other themes in the movie for instance like um, taking shortcuts in the name of profit um, overstepping ethical boundaries in science and etc cetera, etc cetera, that stuff um, legacy is not the interesting complicated themes that it explores instead Dinosaurs are monsters, and therefore the reptiles that they look like in this movie are monsters. I am uh, deathly, deathly afraid of spiders. Like, I can't be in the same room with one of them. Uh, and I, I can attribute that to both just like childhood experiences and shows. <laughs> Harry Potter, I'm looking at you. I know that they pro like provide a very important role in the ecosystem, but I just can't stand them at all. Too many eyes, too many legs, too much hair. And again, but, that's something that has been kind of passed down. Yeah, the, uh, when you think about it, it's like any animal that's used for certain effects. They're going to have some kind of takeaway with the audience that may or may not be true. But m might I add that there have been an increasingly high number of shows that are trying to bring the actual nature of these animals into life the fact that they're you know mainly docile animals and not harmful to people actually contributing to ecologic roles like i'm i'm looking specifically at like crocodile hunter you know blue planet anything with david attenborough really but it it is interesting how there is that major divide between what we see in the creature feature sci-fi films and like this stark hatred or fear of something and then the totally opposite non-fictional realm of science that is more biologically um representative definitely yeah and the other thing when it comes to communicating with the public some of these films can do is give a false impression of what the science is currently like. For instance, just one more time to harp on Jurassic Park. Believe me, people, I do I do like Jurassic Park. It's a great movie. But because it has now gotten like four sequels, gonna be five sequels, something like that, and they all do the same thing, but more monstrous and less accurate every time. And usually with less interesting characters every time. Um, what that leads to is how any time that, for instance, me as a paleontologist, I don't have anything else hardly at all except for I try to go for modern animals and things like that. If you show, for instance, any time a new theropod dinosaur is found, which are those two-legged, uh, mostly eating but some not they're they're cool they're awesome but anytime a new one is found immediately the headline is new relative of t-rex found real jurassic park is or jurassic park is now a reality Elon musk is talking about how he, he could make a jurassic park if he wanted to yada 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 there are very few ways to connect with people and i hope that changes uh the same thing happened with the meg when i was at a elementary school Talking, uh, I had a megalodon tooth that I was showing to kids and trying to 
educate them on how cool fossil sharks are and how modern sharks are super important. And immediately, like three out of four of the kids were like, what do you mean like the Meg? What with the Jason, did the Jason Statham movie? I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. It is, it is the Meg. There are increasingly, it becomes increasingly more difficult to get those films out of people's heads and help them understand the reality of uh, different scientific topics when it becomes so ingrained in people's minds. Yeah. Um, I mean, there definitely is a stark divide between how science is presented to other scientists and how science is presented to the general public. And I think that's generally why scientists do generally show an interest in outreach is because over time there has become a very big divide, especially when you take movies like The Meg and Jurassic Park that kind of blow these actual sciences out of proportion and then they just become taglines for any scientific find within the next 20 years of making that movie. One thing I did want to talk about though, and you did kind of bring it up earlier, Michael, was how science and scientists within movies interact with politics. Now, I'm looking specifically at the day after tomorrow in this, but there are a lot of examples of this in which you have a scientist who is not being taken seriously by usually a group of politicians, and then their hypotheses become a reality, and all of a sudden everything has fallen apart. Now, <laughs> let me first off preface, there there is a wide variety of people interested and working in science that have heavy ties with politics. They often interact at um, council meetings, at board hearings, and try and get things like Flint, Michigan to stop happening. So at, at, on one hand, yeah, there is kind of a stigma shown in these movies that puts scientists and politicians at odds. But there are a lot of people who are actively pursuing both interests, and the gap isn't as wide as is often shown in media. That is true. There is definitely, even when it does seem like there are a lot of times where scientists are not included in stuff like government work, um, it does happen a lot, unfortunately. But there are times where people do get their act together and scientists are able to help make the world a better place on a large scale, which is great uh, when it does happen. Um, for instance, if we think about like uh, the ban on aerosols and things like that, uh, that was late 90s, early 2000s, if I'm correct, I could be wrong there. Uh, there were a lot of scientists on the team that did research on the hole in the ozone layer and they were able to get everyone together and say hey this is important we need to do something about this this is one reason why 
scientists exist in the modern, it's not just because we're ch or chasing interesting questions. That's definitely part of it. But science also has the the capability to help a lot of people. Uh, so sometimes these movies kind of show that scientists never get listened to. And though it is very sad when we don't, uh, it is not always the case. Sometimes scientists are able to help uh, a society at large without so much stigma as shown in uh, blockbusters, especially. Mm -hmm. There's also uh, a very, very big issue that's kind of the opposite, but very similar in that scientific clarity. A lot of times, like a good example, which is 2012, is that there is a big discovery by the scientist. The, the government takes it seriously, but then they hide that information from the public. And that's, that's actually kind of common today where there is scientific evidence and scientific uh, discoveries that occur, but they don't, or they're not made to, uh, the public doesn't get to see it or they don't really know about it. And that's honestly pretty terrible because it keeps people from making informed decisions about their life and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, that that is something uh, very redeeming about 2012, in my opinion, is how it represents the actual scientist. He's not your typical trope scientist. He's not your lone wolf type. Um, he's a fairly young kid, I think, too. And he's generally trying to be cooperative with these politicians. And also, he's more than just represented as a scientist. You see facets of his character, I think more particularly toward the end of the movie, and um, you, like you get to see dynamics of him talking to his dad while this crisis is going on, and um, it is interesting in that regard, but there are also a lot of factors about 2012 that are <laughs> irredeemable. <They're> yeah. <laughs> Somehow there is like a new undiscovered neutrino that heats the core of the earth and it causes crustal displacement across the planet only from this one solar flare that just happened like two hours before the finding yeah yep and they like know like oh yes this is going to happen in three years from now exactly that the world's going to go to crap so and I also wanted to clarify that I'm not totally dashing, uh, bashing on the day after tomorrow. I, I rewatched that movie recently and entertaining. Thought, it's so entertaining. It really is, and it's very clearly an illustration of climate change in the modern today, and it does show a lot from that, like, social media perspective of it. It shows a lot in terms of how news coverages would react to an event like that and there's a very there's a famous quote i'm forgetting too but it's very all very applicable to situations we're seeing in the modern but at the same time you contrast that with the rapid pace at which the movie takes place and it's kind of blown way out of proportion <laughs> Uh, all the way out of proportion is honestly kind of an understatement in that movie. Um, the problem that I kind of have with that movie is 
it's honestly partially personal experiment or experience, but uh, I was in a classroom in middle school where that was shown in a science classroom. We just watched that movie as though maybe it was some sort of accurate representation of climate change. I wish I went and to your school, damn. That is not uh, the case. Climate change is way more complicated, obviously way slower, uh, but also it, it's not going to cause an ice age. And the problem that it brings up is if people are watching these movies and going, ah, climate change, that's what it's about. And obviously when they look at actual scientific findings, they're going to go, well, this is bogus because I'm seeing all of these differing representations of this issue. So, ah, the rest of it, it's all bad. None of it exists. None of it's real. They see something so terrifying. They're like, wow, that's awful. And I don't want, want that to happen. And then they do actual research and see that it's not like that. They're like, oh, it's not a problem then. Yeah, it's not that bad. It's yeah. not like the day after tomorrow, so I shouldn't be worried about it. That's not the case. <laughs> yeah, that does summarize a lot of our, it, a lot of what seems like our main grievances with the representation of science within the media is that it can be blown way too out of proportion, and there needs to be some realism. I don't think within all movies you necessarily have to be scientifically accurate, but it should be made abundantly clear to your audience that if you're going to cross that line, you might as well full send it. Exactly, yeah. There, like, there's no issue inherently with having a giant global disaster happen. Make it clear that this is not real. Make it clear that this is... When you say quotes climate change caused this make abundantly clear that that is not how real science like how real climate change works and also do not diminish the importance of scientific issues like that in the process there's a lot of things that uh movies can do better but they don't have to be perfect i mean there's a lot of like the purpose of a a movie or a TV show is to be entertainment. But they also have to be very careful and that the messages that they're sending. Uh, it's important to realize the science behind a lot of the main effects of the movie, but at the same time, just have some fun with it, you know? Science is fun at the same time as it is important. Uh, and I, I think what would be great to see going forward, and I've, I've actually seen uh, a few examples of this, um, but I would love to see uh, film and media creators both working with and in some cases actually being scientists. Um, a great science communicator, Emily Grosley, did a great uh, paleontology short series for PBS where she worked with the crew on like the entire thing from start to end she is the host of it and she helped a lot with the science of it she's awesome uh so that's a great series it's called prehistoric road trip on pbs so go watch that um and also on top of that 
you get independent filmmakers like uh, Brian Eng is a great paleo artist who does uh, short films and stuff on uh, mostly paleontology stuff, but dealing with his art um, and how he goes about like reconstructing the ancient world and what some of these places he was reconstructing along with real scientists was like. Um, so I hope that that happens more. They're, those are both great people. You should go watch them. Uh, oh yeah, uh, you yeah. should also you should probably also go look on YouTube specifically a channel called Earth Encompassed because uh, I know a certain person named Michael <laughs> who has a channel <laughs> dedicated to uh, proper science teachings. So check out that channel on YouTube as well. Thank you for the plug, Matthew. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Great shout out. I was wondering when I would eventually give you a shout out. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's podcast episode. Thank you all so much for joining me, and I hope to see you all next week. Thank you.